0: As we open God's Word this morning, let's let's go to Him in prayer. Lord, we do want to be an instrument used by You to serve You, to serve others, that more people may um, enter into a relationship with You and and participate in the worship that we all have been participating in this morning. Lord, I pray You speak to us now as we look in Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if I mentioned this to Jan earlier. we were talking about headaches. I don't know if anybody's had a headache before. Anybody? You probably have, may have one right now. But uh, You know, I've had some headaches, but I've had a few, especially one, that stands out in my memory. I think it would categorize, it'd be in that category of, of, of a migraine, you know. And it hurt so bad. You know, it even hurt to open your eyes. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been in that situation where even to open your eyes and take in light, it was painful, and it made me nauseous. it was so painful. You know It was just very vivid, and maybe you've had something like that where, you know, it really hindered you. I just remember I just wanted to lay in the bed with my eyes closed, with the lights off, no sound, no nothing, because it just hurts so bad. And you know, this, this illness, this headache, really hindered me from doing anything else, uh, because of, it had so much pain. Now, it could be a migraine, it could be some other sickness, but you've all experienced how illness you know, keeps you from being 100%. You know, it keeps you from functioning the way uh, you want to function or you ought to function. And really, illness, when you, when you think about it in a Christian worldview, when you look at the scripture, you say, where does illness come from, sickness? We know it's a result of sin. It's part of the brokenness of the world Things breaking down, the world, ourselves, our bodies, it all is a result of sin. And sin, if you want to define it, it's simply uh, trying to live your life apart from God. And you know, when Adam and Eve, back in Genesis 3, decided to live their life apart from God and disobey God or rebel against God, uh, brokenness uh, flowed from their action and God told them that, that that would happen. You know, when you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. There would be a breakdown in the way things ought to be, a brokenness. Also, a separation. And so illness uh, is a part of that, but a much deeper part of the illness that we face is just the illness of sin. And it's this sin that flowed from Adam and Eve, and we inherit that same corruption and if you know yourself, you know you participate in that same corruption as well. I mean, you you seek to I seek to build my life apart from God at times. And in your past, you think about how you lived your life apart from God. That's sin. That's disobedience. And so that causes brokenness and causes pain. And what sin does is it hinders us. You know, it, just like an illness, like a, that migraine, hindered me from being what I could be. Sin at its core, hinders us from being and doing what God wants us and has designed us to be and to do. You know, sin is a hindrance. It's a problem. And it's a problem we all face. And sin has, in so many words, you know, put us in the bed. Like I was in the bed with the migraine. I couldn't do anything else. Sin has put us in that bed. We're in that bed and we cannot get up and function. Now I want you to turn with me to Matthew 8. And I want us to look at this short passage, and I want us to see someone who is hindered by illness, but then we're going to see her life intersect Jesus, and then I want us to notice her response, okay? So look with me at Matthew chapter 8, and this is an account of uh, Peter's mother-in-law, which would mean Peter was married, if you have a mother-in-law. Um, Peter's mother-in-law, and this, and this accounts also in Mark's gospel and as well as Luke's gospel. But Matthew 8, uh, verse 14, this is what Matthew writes. It says that, And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And Mark records that she's, she's lying in the bed, which, I mean, that's where I would be lying too. You know, when you're sick, you're laid up in the bed, we all know how that is. Uh, for example, several of us are dealing with the uh, threat of the flu. <laughs> I saw somebody, I think it was just a week or so ago, um, I was down in the medical college, and I was actually, we we're going to meet Brent for lunch, and saw a guy that, you know, has come to our church some, and I was, hadn't seen him in a while, so I was going to go talk to him. He works down there and invite him back to church, and uh, I saw him, I shook his hand, and I said, oh, how are you doing? He's like, well, I'm just getting over the flu. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, I need to go wash my hands. Excuse me. Yeah. It's going around, you know. We, we're learning the flu shot's not working well and all this kind of thing. And we know the flu. You know, it, it, it lays you up, puts you in the bed. It keeps you from, you know, doing what you normally do. It's a hindrance. It's a, it uh, paralyzes you to some degree and keeps you from serving it's like being electrocuted. Not that I've ever been electrocuted, but I'm assuming this is how it is from my pictures that I see of people getting electrocuted on TV and whatnot or being tased. You know, when you get electrocuted, it just paralyzes your muscles. You can't, you can't control them anymore even though you're in some extreme discomfort. Pain is painful, but you're hindered. You're par- you can't do anything except for just shake, I guess, and uh, feel some pain. You know, you're, you're being electrocuted, you're being tased. And that's what sin does, that's what illness does. It keeps you from functioning the way you ought to function, you are designed to function. This is the effect of sin. It keeps us from being and doing what God designed us to be and to do. Now the flu, at least we hope this is true, that you may get over the flu, or the migraine, or the headache, or whatever it may be. But what we see from the scripture is that you cannot get over sin on your own. Like the effects and the hindering effects of sin. You, you can't accomplish victory over sin by yourself. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. Okay, listen to what he says about the power of sin. He says, If you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, (laughs) you had no ability. You had had no ability to overcome sin on your own. And later in that passage, what we're going to see is, uh, Paul says, but you have been made alive in Christ. In other words, Christ comes in and He is the one who enables you to be and to do what God wants you to do because He deals with the sin problem. And so, left to ourselves, dealing with sin, you know, we're laid up in bed, unable to serve, unable to be and to do what God designed us to be and to do. And this is what Peter's mother-in-law is experiencing on a smaller scale, right? I mean, she's laying in bed with a fever Unable to do and to be what she wants to do and to be and what God would have her to do and to be. And she's experiencing this debilitating effect of sin, this illness. And then what we see is Jesus comes into the room. In verse 15, this is what Matthew records. He says, He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve Him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so what we see here from Matthew is that Jesus comes in, okay? Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. She's unable to, to function for the most part. Jesus comes in and touches her hand. And it says the fever leaves her. And then in verse 16 it says, because this is probably the Sabbath day, people start bringing those who are sick and who are affected by uh, demons and, and whatnot, and they begin to bring them to Jesus that evening, you know, once Sabbath is officially over. And it says that Jesus healed them. And then in verse 17, Matthew reaches back into the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament and says this. He says that Jesus, or the Messiah, would he what he would do is he would take our illnesses and bear our diseases. In other words, the Messiah would deal with sin and the resultant brokenness caused by sin in the world. This is what the Messiah would do, or the 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 deliverer, this is one that God would send that would deliver God's people and, and rule and reign on over the kingdom of God. Okay, this is the Messiah. And I was just reading this past week um, over in Matthew chapter 11. And some of you may remember this, this account when John the Baptist is in prison. And he sends his followers to Jesus to ask him a question. And the question is, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And what John is saying is, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that was prophesied about or spoke of back in Isaiah 53? Are you that one or should we look for another? And Jesus in Matthew 11:4 4 and 5 sends word back to John. And this is what he tells John. Instead of just saying to John, yes, I am him. <laughs> Which would be kind of the short, short answer. What he does is this this is how he answers John, Matthew eleven, four four and five. He says, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am fulfilling Isaiah 53. You know, Jesus is saying this, I mean, God says this is what the Messiah will be like. And Jesus is saying, I am fulfilling that. I am Him. You know, and so that's how He responds to John. He says that He is the one dealing with sin and the brokenness that sin causes, such as sickness, poverty, and death. And so now the question is, Matthew says, Jesus... Uh, would would take on our illnesses and bear our diseases. Or another way to ask that question is, uh, what does it mean to, to say that Jesus takes on our sin? And what we find is, back in Isaiah 53, 53, you see the answer in the verses that follow the verses that Matthew quotes here in Matthew 8. In Isaiah 53... And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so what Isaiah was was foretelling is he's saying this Messiah that would come, he would take on our sin and defeat it through his death and subsequent resurrection, which is what we see in the Gospels. So it's only through Jesus that we can receive forgiveness of sin and being able to be and to do what God wants us to do. This is the this is the message here. Uh, this is why Matthew reaches back and quotes this passage from Isaiah because he's saying the only way that we uh, are able to deal with our sin problem and actually move forward and be the people God wants us to be is through Christ. Christ has to touch you. He has to bring the healing. It all comes through Him. And ultimately, the way He took care of that for us is through. His death and resurrection. And so it's only through Christ that we receive forgiveness for our sin and the ability to be and to do what God wants us to do. Now, Peter's mother-in-law, what we see in this account is that uh, she experiences a foretaste of the kingdom of God. In other words, she's healed of disease. She's healed of her headache, okay? So what Jesus is doing is she, he is giving her a foretaste of what the kingdom of God is like when he brings it in in its fullness and we know from the book of Revelation you know there will be no, no sin, no death right this is the kingdom of God in its fullness when it comes when Christ comes back and so what what Jesus is saying is this is what he's bringing in and he's kind of drawing a, a a thread back to Peter's mother-in-law and allowing her to have a foretaste of what it will be like. And what we know to be true in our own experiences is that we're not all guaranteed that foretaste. Right? We're not all guaranteed to be healed in this moment today from the flu or whatever it may be that you're dealing with. Even though Jesus may do that. He may give you that foretaste of the kingdom. But what we do know is that what we can experience now is forgiveness for our sins. We know we can experience that now. And we know that we can be enabled now to become the people God wants us to be. We know that we can experience that now. And now what I want you to notice here, and I think this is a great picture of of how we ought to respond to what Jesus has done for us. When you look at Peter's mother-in-law, I want you to see what she does. How she responds to the touch of Christ. Okay, when Jesus enters the room and he touches her hand and she experiences this this release from the effect of sin, this illness. It says she, she gets out of the bed and then what does it say? It says she begins to serve him. She begins to serve him. Now, the thrust of this passage, the thrust, the main idea of this passage in Matthew 8 is not about Peter's mother-in-law serving Jesus. That's not the main thrust. The main thrust is that Jesus has the power and ability to deal with sin. You know, earlier in Matthew 8, Jesus cleanses the lepers. And then he heals someone who is paralyzed. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he heals others who are deal, dealing with different uh, afflictions, right? So the focus is on the, the authority and power of Jesus. That he has the power and the authority to deal with this. But this little side story is how Peter's mother-in-law responds to the healing touch of Jesus. And I think this is just a beautiful picture of someone who has experienced the, the you know, healing touch of Christ and how they responded Because we know, you know, if we are in Christ, we are children of God. We are in the family of God. This is who we are. And when Peter's mother-in-law experiences the forgiveness, the the healing touch of Christ, her response is, I want to serve Christ. And she practically begins to serve Him in her home. And I think if we are touched by Christ, if if we have experienced the forgiveness that is found in Christ then our response should be exactly the same; that we ought to respond in service. You know, we we ought to respond to serve God and to serve other people. Or another way to put that is, you have been you have been saved to serve. You have know, been saved from your sin to serve God. Now. Let me make something very clear. You're not, you, don't, you do not serve to be saved. You've been saved by Christ and therefore enabled to serve. Remember, you're dead and your trespasses and sins. You can't, you can't overcome that on your own. Christ has to do that for you and then put you in a position of service. Giving you gifts and abilities to serve God the way He would have you to serve Him. And as we walk through the New Testament, you see that You know, the church is referred to as a body that has many different functions. And so, you know, uh, Abby has a gift, and, and Celia has a gift, and Helen has a gift, and Chuck has a gift, and Tom has a gift. We've all been given gifts or roles or functions, how God has gifted us. And as a body, we work together, and that's how we best reflect Christ to the world, and that's how we best become who God wants us to be as a church. And so we're meant to serve. And maybe your gift is evangelism or mercy or hospitality or teaching or prayer or administration or something else, Uh, however God has gifted you. But the point is that we are all gifted to serve and we're all gifted uniquely to serve in specific ways, serving together, helping us become who God wants us to be. And so the question is, If the fever has left you, right? If the fever has left you, you've experienced the touch of Christ in your life, the forgiveness of Christ. The question is, are you still laying in the bed? Or are you getting out of the bed to serve? That's the question. Now, I know Christmas almost seems like... (laughs) It happened ages ago. I mean, it's only been a few weeks, but it seems like it's been a long time, at least for me. Now, some of you may still have your Christmas tree up. I'm not going to point out who that may be. But you may have your Christmas tree up. But here's, here's the thing. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Have you ever, you know, you've finished the Christmas parties, you've opened the gifts, you've given the people the gifts in your family, everything like that, and then you notice at the very end of all the hoopla, there's a gift left under the tree. Have you experienced this? There's an unopened gift, and either you don't know who it goes to, or you just never saw that person. But there it is, right there, the gift unopened. But here's the thing, an unopened gift is useless, is it not? I mean, unless that gift is open, the person cannot enjoy it, they cannot use it, uh, they cannot share it, it just remains in that package and if you are in Christ if you have experienced the forgiveness that comes through Christ then God has gifted you to serve him and the question is have you opened the gift in other words have you exercised it have you shared it with others are you living it out and now many of you are I mean you're serving you're you're. Maybe you're teaching Sunday school, or you're uh, keeping the nursery, or you're serving on a ministry team, or you're serving on a committee, or you're serving in some capacity within the church family. And I want to say, I applaud you for that. That's That's what we ought to be doing. And I thank you for that. Because as you serve, we are becoming who God wants us to be. And we cannot do that without you serving. That's the whole point of the body metaphor, is that every part needs to function the way God meant it to function, if we're going to function as a body, as a, as a community. Now, some of you still may be exploring how you can serve. And I want to encourage you, maybe sometime this week, uh, you can call the church office, or maybe we can see each other on uh, Wednesday night or something like that, but, or you can come by the office. And I'd love to talk with you about how you can serve. You know, what are some ways that, that you, know, you could put your gifts to work in this local body of believers? Because one thing's for sure, no matter what your gift is, we're all saved to serve. We're all called to serve. That's what we ought to be doing. Serving God, serving others. Now with all that said, I have one uh, challenge for you. One application of this um, challenge to serve. As many of you know, uh, we are preparing to launch a new worship service on March the 1st at 9 a.m. And the reason behind it and the motivation behind it is that as the Hill Baptist Church, what we want to see is we want to see an increase in the number of people in Augusta that worship Jesus. I mean, that's what we want. We want to see more people worship Jesus than they do now. I mean, we want to see that number increase. We want to see more people gather. To worship Christ. And so, one of the ways we're seeking to do that is by providing another opportunity for people to gather for worship. And that's going to happen on March the 1st at 9 a.m. And this is a big step for our church, right? I mean, this this is a huge step for our church, but it's one that we're willing to take. We're willing to go out on the limb, so to speak, because we want to reach people for Christ, and we think this may be a way we can do that. So we're willing to take that risk. But in order for this vision to see more people gather for worship to become a reality, we're going to need to serve. There's going to be ways that we are going to need to serve and chip in and be a part of what uh, can be. Now here's the opportunity I want to challenge you with. We're putting together what we're calling a launch team. And what this launch team is, is going to do is this, the launch team is a, is a group of people who are willing to help launch this new worship service on March the 1st. And the requirement or the qualification to be a part of this launch team is that you're willing to serve. That's pretty much it. <laughs> you're willing to serve. That's the qualification. But there are certain things that I would need you to commit to. If you're going to be a part of this launch team. And there's basically three requirements. And I want to walk through these with you. As uh, you consider this challenge. The first one is this. If you want to be a part of the launch team. I need you to be willing to serve. First requirement. You need to be willing to serve. Whether it be welcoming people in the parking lot. Or as they walk through the door. Or showing someone where the nursery is. Or how to get to a Sunday school class. Or handing them a bulletin, a worship guide. Or just welcoming them with a smile when they come in the door. You know, whatever it may be. uh, Or running the sound or playing an instrument. Whatever it may be. uh, One characteristic of everybody that's part of the launch team is that we need to be willing to serve. The second requirement is that I need you to attend... The Sunday evening worship service uh, leading up to March 1st. And this is why. The Sunday evening service at 6 p.m. is the service that we will drop down into that 9 a.m. slot. It's going to be the exact same style of service. And so as you go to that worship service, you get an understanding of this is how it's going to be on March 1st at 9 a.m. And this is the second reason I need you to attend that service. Um, That service, when we launch it at 9 a.m. on March 1st, it'll be a 45-minute service, worship service. And so on Sunday nights, it's going to be a 45-minute worship service. And it is a 45-minute worship service now. And then what we're going to do right after that worship service, we'll have a little stand-up break so people can leave if they need to leave and take care of whatever they need to take care of. But then after that uh, worship service that will end about 6.45, we'll have a launch team meeting. So anybody that's part of the launch team, you will stay and we will, we will pray and we will talk about all the details that need to come together uh, in order to have a, a successful and healthy launch on March the 1st. And so requirement number one, you need to be willing to serve. Requirement number two, I need you to attend the Sunday evening worship service at 6 p.m. And the third requirement that we need for the launch team is that we need to develop a core group. If you look around this room, you realize, you say, Ron, you know, this, this is a, it's an okay crowd here for a, a one service, but when you launch two services, uh, how's that going to pan out? Well, here's the focus and the vision. The, the focus of the 9 a.m. service is not to divide this group up into two groups, but rather it's to reach people who are not currently worshiping, right? That's that's the thrust, that's the hope, that's the vision. And so in order to make that happen, the third requirement is that we need a group of you all willing to attend both services for a period of time. And so you would come an hour early on Sunday morning you'd be here by 9 o'clock and you would serve at that service and then you would also come and worship at the 11 o'clock service because our vision as a church is to see both services as well as Sunday school which is sandwiched right in the middle intentionally But both these worship services we want to see them grow because the whole vision is to see an increase in worshipers That's that's the vision or another way to put it is, we want to make disciples, is what we want to do. And so this is one of the ways we're moving forward to do it. And so what I need you to do is commit to attending this service, but coming earlier as well and serving at the 9 a.m. service. And I need you to do that for the month of March and April. Nine weeks in there to do that. And what I want you to think about is, uh, you know, we just talked about the stars. That are over in Niger, Africa. Serving the Lord. And you're hearing about all this persecution. All these crazy things happening. I want you to think about. And this is obviously a lesser sacrifice. At least I think it is. Uh, to think of yourself as a short term missionary. For the months of March and April. That I'm going to go and I'm going to serve. At that early morning hour. So that we can try to reach more people. And gather more people in worship. worship. And hopefully by the end of April, we'll have a core group worshiping at 9 a.m. And then, you know, you no longer have to or, or need to attend both services. So that's the vision. And other churches have done this and seen some uh, fruit from this. And so we're going to give it a shot as well. And like I said, our vision is to see more people worship the Lord. And this may be how it comes about. And I know this is a big commitment right? It's a big commitment. But I think it's one worth taking if we're going to reach more people in our neighborhood. So what I want you to do is take some time this afternoon and I want you to pray about it and consider, is this something that the Lord would have you to do? Is this one way you can serve uh, the church and our community uh, by joining the launch team? And then if it is, I invite you to come back and worship with us at 6 p.m. and then attend that first launch team meeting. But what we see in this account and what we see in our own lives overall is that you know, sin is a hindrance to being and doing what God has designed us to be and to do. And we also see that Jesus offers freedom through his healing touch, through his death and resurrection, to be and to do what God wants us to be and to do. And this is the question that we need to wrestle with. And that is, will you take the hand of Christ by faith? Will you take the hand of Christ by faith, experience forgiveness and healing, and get out of the bed and serve Him? Let us pray. God, that is the question, and we want our answer to be, yes, Lord. I want to be out of the bed, uh, experiencing the life that You've intended me to live, to, to be and to do what You designed me to do. And I know that's the prayer of every person here. Well, we want to be and do what you called us to do. And we know for some that may mean uh, teaching Sunday school or serving on a ministry team or uh, being part of this launch team or joining the choir. Uh, There's so many ways that you may have us to serve. But Lord, we know we're all called to serve. Lord, help us to live out that calling. Help us to open the gift that you've given us and live it out and share it with other people, so that we would see an increase in the number of people who worship You. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.